This is Ross Payton here with Role Playing Public Radio, and this is episode 25, Save versus Warm Fuzzies. And with me, as always, is Tom. Tom Church. And at this point, boys and girls, is where Ross stops doing the announcer voice. Yeah, it's just, it's been a while. It's almost a month. Well, I, I've done the person. intros for the last few episodes. That's because I was picking up your slack because you're so lazy. I mean, all you do is edit this thing, release it, do the website. Write the show notes, maintain the website. Yeah, and I'm pretty set much... Set up the website, yeah, pay for the website. Just all that shit. I pay for the website. Why don't you say that again, Ross? Yeah. For those that didn't hear it the first time. <laughs> yeah, right, because I'm sure they'll care. But anyway, um, since this is a holiday episode, we're shooting, uh, recording this around December, and well, in December, we would like to do something a, a little bit different, something sort of happy and warm and fuzzy, kind of like warm fuzzies. So now, now we say different because anyone who's a regular game owner know how insane that sounds coming from a gamer. Warm and fuzzy. Yeah, I mean, obviously, our usual episodes are about running horror games. Like we're set soul sunder night blood. Yeah, these sort of. Uh, gamer parodies where we make fun of our own ilk and that kind of thing so we thought we would do explore ideas of joy happiness themes of joy happiness uh optimism things like that. overall positiveness which are basically very rare in most rpgs if you look at it almost alien in fact yeah i mean the average role-playing game if you took all the role-playings in the role-playing games in the world and somehow mathematically averaged them out they would be set in the end of the world where all the characters are mentally unbalanced drug addicted sociopaths loaded down with magic and uh, uh cybernetics uh on a quest to rid themselves of the angst of their dark dark souls while killing multiple hordes of bad guys with soul drinking energy weapons you know wearing a necklace of fingers yes and uh uh orphan fingers uh, which actually happen to be orphan vampire fingers, because the, the only thing that's worse than that's more evil than these the characters who are, as I mentioned, sociopathic and armed with enough weaponry to take down to a, cause the, the apocalypse a second time. Yeah, or <laughs> yeah, or most of Detroit, you know, at least. Um, <laughs> are the things that they kill which they kill in great numbers but of course it's it's a game about maturity and role playing and uh exploring the darkness of one's soul when you're not mowing down nine thousand and getting guys. plus nine plasma cannons of you know uh agony so again this <laughs> yeah. is the average mathematic i'm pretty sure this would be the mathematical average of all rpgs so yeah. It's good to know we can occasionally come back to... So, yeah, we'd like to look at something on these the other, other side. Yeah, the, the positive we don't want to be conformist, like all those mainstream... Dude, I am so nonconformist. Yeah, you little mundy, you yeah. mundane gamer. You can't handle the nonconformity of having a happy game, where game that's happy and joyful, man, you can't handle that. So I could totally have done the Charlie Unicorn voice and done joy and joyness, but I thought I'd take the moral high ground here. There you go. Yeah, don't wear out that tired old meme. I, I can't, dude. I refuse to do that. That that <laughs> must remain funny from now here until eternity. Right. And so I guess you could say variety is the spice of life. So like every uh, once in a while, even in your dark, dreary games, you're gonna want to have a throw out a little bit of sunshine. Yeah, even if it's only just so you can quash it, just to show how badass and evil and dark and angstrin your game is really about. You know. Yeah. The thing about that is, especially if you're running a dark, horrifically evil violent emo game yeah if that's most of the game then that little bit of sunshine they're going to remember that often more than they will everything else it's what's different that sticks out so um 
And of course, we'll also get into uh, we'll we'll talk about first the, the levels of happiness you could have in a game. You and know, yes, they're, they're, like you can actually measure happiness. Yes, again, mathematically average. And it's not money, power, and fame. No, um, the average happy. Well, anyways, um, and aside from measuring how much happiness you get in a game, it's also how to what end? How does it improve your game? I mean, that's the whole point. Is well, right. putting in to make well, your game. How better. does it make your group have more fun? Right, and so let. Let's get into this. Uh, uh, first, we'll, we'll talk about the uh, the types of happiness, the levels of happiness. And I think the most common is, since again, as we described, the average game is rather dark and violent and grim because that's what gamers who being so mature are really about. It's the bright spot in a dreary world. And is that the little nugget you throw out there? Yeah. And this can be pretty understated. This could be as simple as, you know, the orphan boy who looks up to your characters uh, coughing, you know, because he has the whooping cough in one leg and uh, has also big eyes and his puppy is sick. And seems to look past all your glaring faults. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And somehow found the one nice thing about you. Oh, Mr. Knight with your armor that weeps blood uh, uh, and your sword that looks like a gargoyle's head that also weeps blood and moans with all the... The, at, the, the screams soul, the, of the dying that uh, it's like you know, and you can and that has the soul sw- like you know swimming endlessly in its void. Yes, and your dark aura of pain and agony. You gave me an apple. Yes, I like you too. So uh, that that's the average sort of uh, bright spot. Now, um, I've been actually running a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, which he hasn't posted any because he's lazy. Yes, I am lazy. Um, it's. Fourth edition, five, uh, we've had five sessions recorded so far, and it's a pretty, it's a colonial game. It's a set, basically I was inspired by a documentary on Columbus uh, and his dealings with the natives of the New World. So I basically, players show up on a new continent, you know, day one, there's nothing, it's just you guys and a couple other, dozen other colonists. And, and the endless unknown wilderness beyond. Yeah. So, you know, players start exploring, fun, dealing with natives, fighting them off, making deals with them, but... Along the way, they find this tribe of Gripoli, and Gripoli are old school D- from AD and D frog people, you know, mm-hmm. and they're like three feet tall and they weigh thirty pounds, soaking wet. And the way I played them, which is actually kind of different than how they are presented in the book, but whatever, I don't care. Hey, this is Ross's game, yeah. damn it! They're still Gripoli. They're they're incredibly happy, naive, and just they're full of life and like all right life's great full of piss and vinegar yeah and the players just i didn't intend for the players to and okay and granted i'm playing a lawful good character so but everyone else i'm not saying evil but they're unaligned which is the fourth ed speak for chaotic neutral which is fourth which is really i do whatever the hell i want but i try and tone down the senseless violence a little bit yeah just for an example we've had a orc warlord who is uh Wanting to kill every the captain, the priest uh, of the colony, the because that's uh, what's best for the colony. Uh, a human wizard who's uh, um, had a fling with a serving girl, got her to steal from her master, and then abandoned her. And uh, then the warlock who is you know a warlock and is evil and kills people. So, but anyway. Um, yeah, we all fell in love with these frog people. Yeah, they just... And not, not out of character, but also in character, too. Yeah, they just all grit, dug to them. Because, like, because once again, they looked, They said they we were great warriors, and they, they, and they looked up to us. Like, the, their children were, yeah. like, you know, wanted, like, all around us, wanting to ask us questions. They were like, dude, we're like rock stars here. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't really intend... I just sort of made it as a minor aside, and, you know, I didn't... But 
once I saw that they were responding so well, I, I basically rewrote the campaign to incorporate them a lot more. And we'll get into how you use that. But that's sort of the, the, the bright spot in a dreary world. It's that this one tribe of really happy, naive, and optimistic people in a world full of violence, necromancy. Betrayal. And, yeah, and- betrayal. Lots of betrayal. Um, like, for example, you know, the, and so the players... Once they heard that a certain group was attacking the Gripley, they're like, "All right, we got to kill." Yeah, them. I, mean, I mean, we were pretty indecisive at first. You're like, "Well, like, you now there's this group; they're bastards." Well, they, this group is slightly less of a bastard, so maybe we should just not get involved and wipe each other out. Someone's threatening the frog people. Oh, motherfucker! They are going down. Pretty much, and so, and like it, the level we protect them in game yeah. is a little extreme, I would yeah. say. <laughs> so it. it that's that's sort of the first thing you can implement it in pretty much any type of game i mean just have a a sympathetic npc um or small group minor group not like an entire nation make sure that it's better if they're sort of weak and vulnerable not don't make them a victim don't make them so weak and pathetic that the players constantly have to help them you know give them a level of but make them unprepared for the a lot of the danger yeah, just like a normal person or or even a dog or something like that that the players or just anything and just um i think the main thing is not to overstate it less is more if you just give them a few attributes that the players will respond positively to then they will sort of fill in the rest themselves you know if your players are all really violent badass sociopathic killers then make the 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 bright spot the the one npc that's going to be nice to them make him sort of like an up-and-coming fighter who wants to be badass and looks and wants to get tips from the players and the players were like oh you want to learn from us you look up to us the the, like hero worship goes a long way yeah so that works it not irritating hero worship yeah that's because that's you know that's because that's gonna be the line between this we the positive part we like this guy and can we kill the sycophant right now? Yeah, there's a difference between uh, being a plucky, you know, kind of side helper to Scrappy Doo. So you and, don't want to and, be and if you if you get to Scrappy Doo, that guy's dead. Yeah. So um, now on the other hand, if all your players are sort of like cold vampire manipulative people, make it sort of a an indip- someone who's wise and can point out the humanity or sort of uh, be a counselor, kind of a, a. It doesn't have to be your polar opposite. Yeah. Yeah, for you know, like a, a hobo who sees the vampire feeding on a gangbanger, as and just oh. like, well, like everyone's got to do what they have to to survive in this world. Yeah, exactly. Someone who's not freaked out by the uh, uh, player's monstrosity or whatever. So these are just a few examples uh, of types of bright spots. It, or it doesn't even have to be a uh, an NPC. It could be a place, like a little co- uh, uh, you know, a park or a. Uh, small, a beach. Yeah, beach. Some place where the players can just relax and you just describe how nice it is and how cool it is. That if you threaten it, they'll yeah. feel, they'll feel they'll want to protect Evil it. developers are going to buy out the park and turn it into a, a parking garage. We must kill the develop. Well, you could just now, raise money. Again, like, Werewolf the Apocalypse is a good game for that. To fall yeah. in love with a little secluded you know, cove and they're, they're going to build condominiums. We eradicate all of them. And the game master's like, you know, I just kind of intended you guys to like raise money by having a dance competition or something but you i see but i see you've taken the other path and decorated all the equipment with their entrails <laughs> well uh, yeah i applaud your enthusiasm but uh that's but yeah. how about we curb that enthusiasm yeah. now the second level of happiness you know well it's kind of that's the next one is half and half yeah basically a balance of the world now you think well what every world is yeah. a balance of good well, great example superhero yeah worlds, yeah. yeah exactly which uh like 
Okay, like Mutant Masterminds, the Freedom City setting is a good example. The right. Freedom City itself is a positive urban setting. You know, it's it's not a desolate urban wasteland. Right. And yeah, when we mean superhero, we mean basically Metropolis, not Gotham City. You don't want right. the Spawn, Batman kind of Punisher. No Marvel. Frank Miller or a Todd McFarlane right. stuff. Right, that's too dreary. But have... An exciting city where it's, it's, there's great glories and things like that. Yeah, like great glory, you know, like great architecture, clean streets, parks. Yeah, people can live here in happiness. Which, if you if you you know you do that, then when it's threatened by something, the players will want to protect it. Yeah, not just oh here we go kick some bad kick some bad guys' asses get experience. It's, Hey, they're messing. They're messing up the park, man. Exactly. Like, make it an a place that the players would really respond to. A progressive place, basically. Um, and by progressive, I mean like better off. Like the kind of place you would want to live in real life. You know, that's there's all this cool stuff happening. Um, there's very little crime. All the you know everyone's getting taken care of and all this other stuff. And yeah, there's um, no poor. There's no homeless. Science is coming out with some kick-ass. You know. Uh, uh, Stuff bandwidth is free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're geeks, so the comic book shop is awesome. We must defend the comic book shop <laughs> at yeah. all costs. But things you're personally invested in, you're gonna go out of your way to protect. So, and also make a lot of interesting NPCs, not necessarily you know antagonist or sycopaths, but just like colorful characters that the players kind of like. Yeah, you know, like like the you know like the police commissioner that likes them but yeah. still does her job, but. You know the the one the one that will you know stand up for them though uh, you know begrudgingly. I think that works better than it says they are the heroes of the city and it's like shall be treated yeah. as such. It's more just it says well I I appreciate your help with that situation. It would have been best if you'd let the police handle it, but. Yeah, kudos for you. Yeah, I mean, make the. Uh, we'll do an episode in the future about making NPCs interesting and unique, making them stand out. But if you already know how to, just sort of make each kind of one kind of different and unique. Um, like, yeah, for example, the D and D game, which is still a little more dreary overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done a few things to make NPCs stand out, like the goblin. Yeah, the goblin. Uh, there was a goblin chieftain the players spared after a fight, and they, he you know, offered to help them out. And so he has these very specific speech mannerisms. Like, yes, 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 yes. Oh, yes, I'd, I'd help you. Oh, I'd love to kill my you know, brother. It, it's, yes, kind of, yes, it's kind of thing. It's like, it's like you know, the sloven, you know, you know, just groveling at our feet, but also mixed with the, I'll betray you in an instant if I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's the merchant lord who speaks more eloquently and more Back measured, in- but more of a commanding presence. Like, you will do what I say. Or but else. but he would never go as far as to insult someone. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's you know, I'm, I wouldn't, I don't want to say Hannibal Lecter, but just you know, he can do far more with just with a simple phrase than he can with yelling at you. Yeah. So anyway, so that's sort of the best thing in, to make a, a balance between good and evil or light and dark is to have a really exciting place, very interesting place. With NPCs, like places they want to protect, yeah. people they want to protect. Yeah, even if they aren't like just helpers to the PCs. If they're just, and, if know, the players just want to talk to them. Don't do the stupid silver, you know, golden age crap of, you know, quickly, there's a tanker truck about to collide with a bus full of nuns. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, that that that's going to get groans. Yeah. Trust me. So, and of course, you have to uh, contrast this. You know, this is again a world of you know, balance of contrast is to occasionally show really, really, really dark evil. And that's like, you know, the. As, not- and, and more like. Just, and this is what could happen if you don't step in. Yes, that's a very good example. That's very that's excellent. It's like, show what happens to some, you know, other city or some nearby uh, country or. Yeah, yeah exactly. So. 
Um, and this does, and now we applied it to superhero games, but you can do it in other settings. We well, can do it with any game, really. Yeah. I mean, just think of. Um, I'm actually, you know, hell, White Wolf, you know, the you know epitome of angst. Yeah. Really doesn't have to be as dark as that. Yeah, you could definitely have a game. Uh, certainly, in some games, it's very much inspired, like Mage. It's a lot about exploration, mm-hmm. and seeing new worlds, and progress, and you know, helping the sleepers. I mean, I don't know about the new one, because but whatever. I, I don't, I don't play New World of yeah. Darkness. Well, and think of Dungeons and Dragons, like uh, Sigil in mm-hmm. Planescape, the city of doors, where all the universe just sort of enters into this place. You can see people from anywhere. I mean, it's like New York City, only there's magic and demons yeah. and angels and. People so there's a lot of bad stuff going on, but there's incredibly cool stuff going on. So the players will want to help clean up Sigil or, or it cleaned up. So the cool, st- you know, get rid of the bad stuff so the cool stuff can go on. Yeah. So that's sort of the second level of happiness is just make the universe sort of cosmically balanced, but with favoring good, you know. So yeah, favoring good, but yeah, and view the horrible darkness more as a warning. Yeah, that that's that's the that, the key, and then of course, uh, the final thing is just having a very bright world, which by its means a very optimistic world. Now again, this is like the the very rare setting. This is a uh, I've only been in one or two games of this in my entire life. Yeah, yeah. One is a game you've mentioned before, the teenagers teenagers from, from outer space, yeah. which is a comedy anime game, yeah. which is if you're if you actually get into dark. You know, depressing, angst, you know, violent thing. You're not playing it right. You're not running it right. You're not playing it right. It's designed for, well, first of all, you know, one of the, you can't even die. You can just be bonked out. It's like if you lose all your hit points, which is called bonk points, you're just kind of, you know, you're on the ground, you know, your eyes are doing the, you know, spiral thing. You're, you know, you got a lump on your head. But that's right, all that right. happens to you. That's all that happens to anyone. Right. So, you know, you know, that's, well, that's a comedy game. That's designed for that. And I've been in many a game of that, and that's it's pretty fun. But you know, just be careful. You know, just avoid goofy. Mm-hmm. When, you know, you know, for that. Uh, well, a little goofy is fine, but if you just go all goofy, well, okay, it's kind of like Tropic Thunder. Never go full retard. Right. Never well, go full goofy. I mean, if you want to bring up cinema, I think you know people are like. Well, if there's no darkness, how could it be interesting? It'll just be boring. It'll just be boring Disney crap. But. On the other hand, look at every Pixar movie basically ever made, except Cars. I haven't seen that, but. Pixar movies have an incredible level of storytelling, and there's great characters drama and char- conflict. Characters that you care about. And, yeah, still, they're overly optimistic. They're very, you know, uh, life is great. Ah. Yeah, there's a, like, oh, there's this minor thing that's might that threaten our... Threaten well, they're our big, like, you know, like in WALL-E, there's, you know, the, the fate of humanity is at rest. But it's an interesting world, and so that's something I don't see very often. I mean, there's two in the RPG that sort of Obviously. does cartoons, but... Um, that's something I'd like to see more of in the future are games with an optimistic setting that aren't inherent. I mean, that, that's the thing is that you, Pixar is all we could think of, uh, that would sort of be very easy to translate to games, but I'd like to see more RPGs in the future that have optimistic settings because it just seems we've done every version of apocalypse. We've done every type of, uh, angst, angst dark. corruption, fallen worlds, uh, into the worlds after the end of the world after the end of the end of the world, have we mentioned the world has ended? Because it has, and like, there's zombies the gods, now. Like you're, you are, in, like the gods are about to end the world, and you are playing the gods. And, yeah. So yeah, it, I'd like to see some more games that like approach it in in a serious manner. Because there's such a, I mean, 
uh, there's a vast body of literature of fiction of storytelling where it's uh, you know uh, fables you know that's a comic book where yeah. everyone's a fairy tale and it does wind up happily ever and after but it's very complex <laughs> anyways this is a rant I'm going off on a tangent about this but um, it, it still serves the point yeah you can do really great games tell really great stories in uh, an optimistic world you don't need the drama of the end of the world to do that so uh, challenge yourself and make Sitcoms, it really great I yeah know. Sitcoms. I mean, primetime adventures. Yeah, there's a whole television game. Uh, uh, we've done if we've done a few games of that. Well, I've done one game of it, but I, mean, I, I, I was in one. Okay, yeah. And so. I, yeah, it was it was fun. We had, uh, at the end of the day, it may not be what we're used to, but at the end of that, when the game was done, we all stopped, looked at each other, and said, "I had fun tonight." Yeah. Therefore, it was a success. So yeah, you can definitely do that. And so now, so those are the three you know levels of happiness, but. What are what's the point of it? Why would you add happiness or joy or warm fuzzies into a game? Well, what does it increase? And I think uh, the best way is to like what is joy, happiness? Yeah, their emotions. Yeah, and the point of having that in your game is the emotional payoff. Yeah, um, the thing is, uh, you know, as an example, you know, we're uh, the D and D game. The players were out in the the bay. And uh, they were trying to get some treasure that were was hundred feet down, uh, and they had some Gripply with them. Well, know, yeah, we, we have like six of them that are like our constant companions. Yeah, there's seven, but yeah, seven. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was, was down. I was down there with them. Yeah. And basically, I grabbed a Chull, which is a level ten monster, which oh, was uh, it was like seven levels above us. Yeah, your guys are like level two or three. And so I was like, all right, now let's see how long you can delay this thing before it eats your ass. Ah. And um, it was a very interesting fight, and uh, you didn't kill the chull. It lived, obviously. No. We, we wounded it. Yeah. But it, it got to the point where it, the chull just had one last attack it could make on yeah, yeah, I mean, one Gripply. We, we were all fleeing. We were all yeah. headed back to the surface. And yeah. Basically, this one sh- uh, Gripply, I had a low AC, and the thing had like a plus 18 to hit. So it was, I was like... It's going to hit on anything but a one. And it, if it hits, it's going to kill this guy. Yeah. But, so I rolled it out in the open, and I rolled a motherfucking one. And everybody... And, uh, there, a, a cheer erupted from the whole group. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think it's like... And we were... I think we were high-fiving each other across the table. Yeah. Because you, you... At this point, you realize, oh, no, we got our buddies in danger. Ah! Oh, they're helping us out. Ah! Without us asking. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, oh, no, he's going to die. It's going to be our fault. And he lived. Ah, life is great. So. And you know that in-game we got back on shore and had a huge celebration. Yeah. yeah. Where we, you know, high-fiving our frog buds. And yeah. And if it had just been some generic NPC buddy, you know. Like, some, like, you know, the orc bodyguards we had at one point. Yeah. Like, oh, they're dead. Yeah, pff, whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you wouldn't have cared. But because it was the people you had developed an emotional connection to, that that had a big payoff. And when you saved uh, some of them f- who were kidnapped later on, that was mm-hmm. another thing. That was a huge uh, uh, re- uh, relief for you. So there's that. It's a great payoff and there's also a great motivation you know if you have something good in the game that the players respond to well they will do whatever they can to protect it even if they are the yeah. you know, seth soul sunder nightblood characters yeah exactly i mean they'll want to say you know it's just they won't care about their characters they'll just like oh there's a dog oh he's only got three legs oh okay i will go march through hell to get him back all right let's go come on so yeah there's an example in a game i played yeah it was the uh remember uh andy ran the dreamlands game i think you were in a few sessions of that I was yeah where it's basically you're playing yourself in your dreams yeah 
and you know, and this was a game I was running, and my guy was was the uh, partially, ins- you know, this is the first time I played the insane laundromat attendant, who in his dream became like a huge horned demon. Okay. And uh, one of the NPCs that he actually, Andy just threw in there just as a quick NPC to, that he expected to die was a, an orangutan in a lab coat with like, you know, an exposed glass dome on his head with his brain visible, who was like an assistant to the evil genius. And he was basically a coward and, you know, screamed at the sight of trouble. For some reason, I fell in love with him. <laughs> and I kept, I, I made Andy keep him in the game. And everyone else in the game was like, oh, there's the thing. Kill it. I'm like, no, don't hurt the monkey. <laughs> like, the huge demon is doing this. Yeah. And I protected that character throughout every encounter and managed to keep him alive despite the best efforts of the other players and Andy the GM. Nice, nice. And uh, he, Andy still talks, but he's drawing pictures of it, too, because it, it stands out in his mind. Yeah. So that's the thing. Um, once you can get a hook on them with something i mean not that you're trying to but once they respond to something then it one it it has this dual effect one it inspires them and it motivates them to whatever you can think of whatever you can tie it into and two once they succeed there's a great emotional payoff because they've invested into these npcs into this whatever and they've risked themselves and their own resources yeah so the basic, the the again, the trick is, uh, don't try and intentionally hook the players. Don't say I'm going to make lovable orphan Timmy, and Timmy is they're going to PCs are just going to love him. Because the thing is, for all you know, your players are like, all right, throw him to the monster to distract yeah. him. Yeah, one thing, players tend to be very good at picking, picking out, to picking like up on those things. Yeah, well, on obvious ploys like right, that, yeah, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, it's yeah, like, uh, like. And often just to spite the GM sometimes. Yeah. Like, I, he, no, I'm going to kill Orphan Timmy. What? No, he's an Orphan... Uh, it's like Orphan Bane. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think that Timmy's a doppelganger. And the only way to prove he's a doppelganger is to cut his head off. So let's kill Timmy. And once it's done, like, huh, guess I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, wait, I'm lawful good. Let me... I'll pay for him to be raised from the dead. Yeah, like, you know, like, more... Hey, like, he's dead. Who wants a brewski? Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, what you're, you're going to have to watch your players to determine what emotionally hooks them yeah so just again because yeah. you know once it ross had no idea the gripply would be, hook yeah. us in yeah but he saw it and went with it yeah exactly so once they respond though then sort of uh uh don't make it too obvious i mean don't uh what again it depends on what you want to do with the campaign but once you respond sort of start building it up building up that rapport that relationship you know they maybe the uh the bright spot npc helps out you know maybe they you know just have a good dialogue or just do something not even use this Bring some a small basket of food. Yeah, yeah. Again, it starts small, and then sort of build it up, make them weave them into the story of the game. It turns out, you know, the bad guys start stalking your little NPC because they've seen him with you, and so you have to rescue him from the uh, uh, bad guys. Another thing, like, but don't have him in peril all the time. Yeah. In fact, have them help the players, which the players will just love. It's like oh, Timmy called the cops to distract us, to distract the bad Go, guys. Go, Timmy. Yeah. Awesome. So. Um. Again, uh, uh, and once it, once they become major components of the game, then you can start working in them into major quests. And sometimes the emotional payoff is all you need for the reward. Like you, like okay, if you save Orphan Timmy from this cartel of drug dealers, uh, there's no money in it. There's no reward. The cops will put a bounty on you know the cops will put warrants on you. Uh, there'll be a big bounty on your head from the other cartels. Are you sure you want to do it? 
Timmy got us sandwiches. Fuck those guys. Like, you know? Or Timmy was the only one who didn't lie to us. Yeah, exactly. Players hate being dicked around. I oh, found yeah. out it doesn't matter how powerful the character is and the NPC is in the game. It doesn't matter what the NPC offers them to the players. It's how nice they treat the players. Like And sincerely nice. Yeah. Like... Uh, in this in the D and D game, there's a captain who is the one running the colony, and he's just this arrogant guy. Well, and also the and also the salty like. Well, uh, no, the captain, Captain White, not the pirate. Oh, oh, not the. Well, actually, well, okay, we liked him for different reasons. Yeah, the pirate you like because you know. Well, yeah, you had to do his voice. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I think I think uh, yeah, Cody or yeah. one of our players. Yeah. Liked the voice. Yeah. But Captain, uh, the captain, the leader of the colony is this, you know, arrogant man who's also very stern and, you know, he is the authority of the crown. He is, you know. He's Cortez. Yeah, exactly. And players don't like him. Players, you guys hate him. You're like, do we want to kill this guy? After every meeting, every time you talk to this guy, it's like, I want to kill that guy. Can we kill that guy? Can we kill him? Well, Jason, Jason's one like, can we kill him now? Yeah. I'm more just, yes, you know, a sarcastic, of course, sir. And then there's the priest, who the priest is kind of like a wishy-washy kind of guy and uh, more nice, but is also trying to, you know... his uh, Well, his god is superior. Yeah, and, exactly, to the pagan nature spirits and whatever else. And they're like, I hate this priest. Can we kill the priest? <laughs> and then the merchant lord. The merchant lord's is this, you know, I mean, I was an awful good character, and I wanted him dead. Yeah. <laughs> but the Gripper, who can't give you offer, offer you anything... Yeah, they'll. Uh, oh yeah, we love you guys. And then, because, and I think the main reason is, they saw us, they treated us nicely, they had kind words for us, and meant it. Yeah, they 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 genuinely said you guys are okay. Yeah. and weren't trying to get anything out of it. Besides, so, besides some help in their current problem to stay alive or yeah. unenslaved. Yeah, exactly. That's so, all. That's all it was. Um. So that's the. And ultimately, you know, when you look back at gaming, it's not the what how many pluses your sword had it's not how much gold you got or how many bad guys you got down it's the, it's the stories you know the funny the uh, uh the tragic the awesome the badass and then there's the stories where you're like we saved that guy who couldn't do anything for us but we don't care and you know uh and he and when we, we got him back to his tiny little shit farm yeah. he offered us basically you know a broken wagon and a horse and a mule which is everything yeah. he owned yeah Players are just as emotional as or irrational as any NPC in the game. That they they take pride in that. And then more to turn it down because there's nothing we could do with a mule and a broken down thing. It was like that scene from the Three Amigos when they offered them the bag of money. And they say our reward is seeing that justice was served. We threw it back to them and like they look upon us like I didn't think there could be heroes like you. <laughs> so. Think yeah. about this when you're running, when you're setting up, uh, getting ready for your next game, or even if you're a player. If you're a player, talk to your GM, see if he'd be interested in, you know, introducing some ideas of happiness, some little bright, you know, uh, just brighten up the the re- relentless angst-ridden nature. Yeah, you of can do that. You can do that no matter how, like you know, in White World of Darkness, Rifts. If you're still playing Palladium, <laughs> yeah. Even Call of Cthulhu sometimes. Yeah. No. Uh, like, you know, little victories, little yeah. little things. Yeah. Um, in any game, you can have these little bright spots. And Cthulhu, people think Cthulhu is this meat grinder. Your characters are... And yes, yeah, some scenarios are. But. Yeah. But, I mean, you can have characters who live on for a very long period of time and have very successful careers and have families and friends and all this other stuff and not you just tone back the mythos itself. So, anyways. Um, yeah, Cthulhu doesn't have to show up at the end. 
Yeah, that's true. And you know, in the stories, Cthulhu got went back to sleep. You know, mm-hmm. they're technically they did one. So, in this holiday season, while you're drinking eggnog and wrapping presents and um, watching football, your holiday Christmas specials or a Christmas story because they play it, you know, all day on TNT. Yeah. Yeah, or shopping. God help you if you're shopping. Yeah, um, God, may, may the gods have mercy on your soul. Yeah, just think, just think about the happiness. Think about trying, which to, often gets overlooked. Yeah, because people, it seems that every game is like our game is even more apocalyptical than the other game. It's our apocalypse is way it's, darker. It's like, it's like, oh yeah, well, in my game, I personally decapitated a, an old woman for the one of the last cans of soup on the planet. Yeah, exactly. And it turned out she was a lich, and I killed her again. And I got a plus five monofilament whip of and the can soul of, raping and the can of soup turned out to be a plus five can of soup of regeneration yeah that was powered by the souls of a million dead rats you know instead of that yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um you think we're joking but man i mean they're game dude, like cthulhu yeah. tech and dude no you, you don't you probably don't even think we're joking yeah. if you're a gamer you're like, you know what we're talking you're about. like i could run that in gerps or in uh yeah or it's like or i have run that in gerps yeah, or... yeah exactly so of course uh we're not uh, totally done we have a letter from tom coming up next and shout outs and another anecdote from our the new world the D game that i should be start yeah. posting sometime and, uh, soon which in the letter will come right after you hear this brief little musical number. Yes. Ah, Christmas. A time of cheer and goodwill where brightly colored wrapped packages sit under lighted trees and stockings hang above cheery fireplaces. And if you're wondering what all this has to do with gaming, I would answer thusly, not a fucking thing. Gaming on Christmas has always been an exercise in frustration and futility. First off, half the group is usually gone, dragged off to some distant relative's house, daring to spend time with family, rather than pretending to be a meth-addicted space marine armed with a 70mm rocket launcher loaded with his own patented asshole tech genital-seeking missiles. And those gamers who do show up are never into it. Some are whacked out on eggnog with enough rum in it to cause massive acute cirrhosis of the liver in a fucking pirate. Or they're all gabbing about what they hope to get for Christmas, like a diesel-powered dildo or a diamond-encrusted dick wiper. Worst of all, many of them insist on playing Christmas music during the game. Oh, just rate me with a baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. The last thing I want to hear when my barbarian is hacking up orcs like ass-flavored haggis is, I saw mommy kissing Santa. It kind of ruins the mood. Bottom line, I am not a jolly gamer around Christmas time. Christmas is not a conducive holiday for gaming. Halloween is an awesome time for horror gaming. The 4th of July works well for war games. I've even been in a very amusing tavern crawl game on St. Patrick's Day. The average gamer is a twitchy, bloodthirsty maniac ready to off the first person who glances at them wrong in-game. The only way to do Christmas well with the average gamer is to set your latest blood fest during Christmas with zombie Santa's dual-wielding candy cane sabers. If only I could be in a game during Dia de los Muertos. Now that's a gamer-friendly holiday.
Wow, Tom. Um, I don't think a, a, a diamond-encrusted dick wiper would be a good gift. Because, I mean, diamonds are sharp. But diamonds are forever. Yeah, but your genitals wouldn't if you use that, is what I'm saying. Well, you could be like a James Bond villain who's, you know, his deformity is he's wiped his own dick with diamonds for so long that they're gone. No penis. Dr. No Penis. (laughs) Or Diamond Dick. (laughs) Diamond Dick. Oh, man, that's... uh... And also, I I, I can't believe you would think... The first thing that came to mind when you said, Gaming on the 4th of July for war games. Is that what you think? You think we're a warmongering nation, Tom? Yes. Oh. Not for long, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the evil, liberal, demon rat... Obama will end war. No, he'll be a secret Muslim and he'll take us all over being a communist Islamic country. I don't know how that would even work out. He's not even really. Wow, we've, are we a political show now? No, I'm just. I'm just. You're just talking, right? Yeah, pretty much. I, I I have no idea the words that come out of my mouth. I no. just. Well, I don't think the words just tumble forth, much like George W. Bush. <laughs> no, much like that Iraqi guy who had the shoe. Th- Throw the shoe at him. Yeah. Yeah, pl- Ross, you have just done to the English language what Felonious Monk did to the piano. You reinvented it. Do you even know who Felonious Monk is? No idea. But do you know who <laughs> said that line? Who? Henry Rollins. Oh. I so see. therefore, it's gold. Yeah. Felonious Monk, he was actually a pretty good jazz musician. I know. I'm pretty sure he was like... As really, it's like Thelonious Monk, whoever the fuck that is. <laughs> no, he's actually it, pretty famous. Well, it makes me sound smart, though, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. It makes you sound like you know something about jazz, which you which is crazy talk. <laughs> That's just crazy talk. Yeah. So this if is it's a- not if it's not Mozart or Slayer, you know. <laughs> If it's not the best of classical music or Slayer, well, heavy metal in general. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so uh, what do we have? Oh, yeah, we have shoutouts. And shout-outs are important. Yes, I think I'll go first me. now. Okay, fine. Just go first. Well, at least my first one. Actually, I have to give kudos to my friend Andy Henderson. I've mentioned him many times before. Yes. The guy that's... Well, you moved... mentioned him. He was the one writing the Dream Game. Yeah. And um, he was he's actually one of the... Honestly, I have to say one of the best gamers I've run games for and one of the best runners of games I've ever played with. And I mean that. I'm not kissing his ass. I yeah. mean it. And he actually has... I wouldn't... But not the best, because that's me. Oh, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. yes, Ross. You know, pat, pat, pat. I am a god. Yeah, yeah, go on. But anyway, he um, he has written his own, he's written his first uh, published his first uh, published gaming you know game yeah. that he's written. It's uh, I guess self published or whatever the self published if you publish it yourself. But still, it's out there for people to buy. Yeah, and uh, we'll have the link up. Yeah, and uh, it's basically it's the the whole point of the game as I understand it is. It's, you know, games You know games have always required dice. This is the first game to use fortune cookies. I see. This is, and that's really all the description I've got. And I encourage you to spend the $1 to download it. All, you know, I encourage all of you. But is it set in a post-apocalyptic world where we are dark warriors tainted by the centuries of murder and warfare that only uh, redemption is possible through? It has fortune cookies. That's all I know for sure. Are they angst-ridden fortune cookies? Sure. Oh, well, you see, that's mature and sophisticated. Yes. (laughs) That's what all games should be. Exactly. But anyway, also, kudos for Andy for doing this. Yeah. And uh, I wish him many more. All right. Cool. 
Um, That's my first one. You go ahead with one. All right. Obviously, um, I know this is going to be a shock to some people, especially regular listeners to this show, but I happen to be a fan of zombies. Holy fucking shit. No Uh, way. Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not. And uh, there's this video game uh, called Left 4 Dead. Wait, wait. Yes. Go wait. Zombies? Yes. Oh, zombie! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have the 360 edition. It's also available for PC, and it's uh, basically by Valve. You know, they do Half Life and Half Life. Some game called Half Life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Counter Strike. And basically, you're a survivor, one of four people trying to survive a zombie apocalypse. Basically, that means going from point A to point B without dying. And the thing is, what's really brilliant about this game is. Uh, it has this procedural content. It has this what they call the AI director, this program that monitors all the players, figures out when they're stressed out, and then sends zombies to eat them and kill them, and then gives them health. So every level is randomly, it's different. I mean, it plays differently each time. Sometimes you'll have giant tanks, uh, zombies, giant mon- Hulk-like zombies attacking you. Sometimes you won't. There are all these boss zombies. It's a, it's a very interesting game. I urge everyone to look at it. And I'm a big fan of procedural content because... Ever since I started playing Dwarf Fortress, if you remember to our interview, we did. A, I discussed with this Tarn Adams. This is sort of the future of video games. I think is procedural content where it's not a static world that's populated by designers and then that's it. It's sort of generated kind of randomly every time, yeah. like a roguelike, like Dwarf Fortress. And this is a step in that direction. And it's just a fascinating game to play, uh, to read about, and yeah. just. And I played it with you. I suck ass at it because yeah. I. I am not good at console first-person shooters. Yeah. We've actually, yeah, we did. Uh, if you if you like Flame War, well, uh, I'll put the links on. Um, w- we did our own version of Flame War uh, where it was Left for Dead, and we were screaming at each other, and it was pretty fun. We'll be doing some more of those because yeah. But the thing, one thing I do remember, I did like is it's one of the first games I've seen like that with other with you know you have teammates where they're actually necessary and useful. Yeah. They're not just constantly in your line of sh- fire yeah. and and screaming at you over here, over here. Yeah. Um, because basically there's certain zombies that can paralyze your characters and some a teammate has to help you out. You can't get, you can't, there's no way a single person can get by a level by himself. No, it just can't happen. Yeah. I mean, it's just ridiculously hard. Not without the other, at least the other three players being bait for that one jerk yeah. player. So anyways, that's my, my first shout out. So do you have any others, Tom? Shout outs? Uh... No. Nah, I'm pretty much. How about the Punisher movie? That was uh, oh, give a. Oh God, shout out. you're just going to bring that up, aren't you? <laughs> I know. Oh Warm my. Fuzzies. Oh my Christ. Best comedy of 2008. Oh my Christ. Right up there with Tropic Thunder. And by the way, for those of you who have never listened to the show before, I love the Punisher. I love the comics. Mm-hmm. I I've really love the video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing I haven't liked are the movies. <laughs> There's the Dolph Lundgren one in the 80s, which just Wow, uh, I don't even really I don't acknowledge that movie happened. Then there was the reason the one in two thousand was two thousand two with four two thousand four with Thomas Jane, yeah. which he was okay in the role, but you know the moment I heard John Travolta's villain, fuck, I know where this is going. It was pretty bad. I then finally I see this one and I see graphic violence in it. I'm like, here we go, and I even it was me, Jason. I even convinced Ross to go along. Oh, you didn't have to convince me because I knew it was going to be hilarious. And the thing is, I had been slowly realizing before it came out that, first of all, when uh, Marvel Studios has pretty much said this movie is unsalvageable, I, I'm like, oh, oh no, please no. But still, I went, I watched it, 
And when I left, I died a little inside. <laughs> I think I believe Ross's comment with me is like, "Oh, Tom, you're probably going to take up drinking now." Yeah, pretty much. It was that bad. Yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, that, that, that's I've, something I've never, that would drive you to drink. I've never come as close to crying until that <laughs> because for something that I'm emotionally inv- invested in to do this to, to shit all over me like that. I mean, um, I re- I watched it again just to really so I could you know get over my initial vomit and you actually try to analyze it and I realize the scenes with the Punisher are good everything else is shit it's like that island of I mean and the parts where he's in there are really good I mean I really really like that but then of course there's the whole rest of the movie which made me want to put a bullet in my head Uh. oh oh god Uh, well I'm glad you had a good time Tom Thank you. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyways, I had two uh, last shout-outs. Oh, um, I'll just do these both quickly. Uh, another procedural content game called Night of the Cephalopoids. It's a free Windows uh, game, basically. You're a guy lost in the w- woods, and there are these squid you know, cephalopods trying oh, yeah. to kill you. And you have a shotgun. And what's interesting about the game is that it has a procedural narrative where every time you do certain actions in the game will trigger certain bits of narration and it'll change. Like if you visit a certain area, the narrator will say something, but if you come back to it, you'll come back, you'll, he'll say something different. And it only takes you about half an hour to beat. It's a fun game. It's a cute little game. It's just neat and mm-hmm. it's free. So even better. Yeah. Check it out. And then a flash game called the majesty of color, uh, which is, Basically, you're a giant underwater sea monster tentacle thing, and you suddenly look up, and you realize there's colors above the d- murky depths. So you send up your tentacle to check out what's going on. And it's a very short game, but it has five different endings, and it's uh, very elegant, uh, elegantly designed, and I enjoyed it. And hey, you have a moment where Cthulhu actually is a, how are you guys doing? Yeah. Yeah, you actually can do it. So it's worth checking out, and it's free, and it's a Flash game, so why not? Especially, uh, it's free. Yeah, have we mentioned the free? Anyway. I love the free. So, those are our shout-outs, and I guess lastly, we just have an anecdote. So, uh, And this is actually a, a joint anecdote, if you yeah. will, because it's part from the D&D game that I'm playing and Ross is running. Yeah. Again, this is uh, the New World D&D, the characters. Uh, this is last session, the fifth session, so it'll be a while before we'll have the whole podcast up, so we'll just give you a little sample. Basically, the players... Uh, are you know in this new world colonizing it and uh, words gotten out yeah words gotten out basically a huge ship about the size of an aircraft carrier but it's made out of wood a wood which the goblins call a hulk uh has shown up has anchored nearby. it's a goblin ship yeah. now they don't attack the colony instead they work for the colony as cheap labor but because the goblins are very cowardly and even you know 10 to 1 odds aren't good enough for the goblins. However, the... So they're peaceful with the colony, but... Uh, well, actually, it's kind of like... Uh, wasn't it Oliver Hazard Perry who do- who went to Japan in the 1800s and just docked his battleship just more to intimidate them? Yeah. I think that... Was that the guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did that. But, yeah, so it's basically they're doing that. It's like, it's like hi, um, we're not going to attack you, but check this thing out. Yeah, and... The captain of the the leader of the colony basically believes that the goblins will bring in more goblins, and when they outnumber you guys to a hundred to one, that they would have attacked. 
Mm-hmm. And so, and that the goblins have a history of doing that, waiting until they have overwhelming odds and then just massacring everybody. So the merchants and the other people are enjoying the cheap goblin labor, but the captain tells you to sink the ship. Yeah. And there's also, there's still a lot of looking over shoulders and... Yeah. And yeah. at first the PCs are, you guys are divided about it. You're like, should we, they haven't done anything yet. We're not, we should, we kill hundreds of them for potential of doing, attacking us. Preemptive war. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but that... So you're divided on that until you learn that yeah. the goblins were attacking the Gripply because the Gripply off by themselves on this nearby island. And so they had no protection. They had no treaty with the goblins. The goblins are like, oh, hey, there's some natives we can exploit and enslave. They, yeah, they exploited the wrong natives. And so you guys saw red in your eyes and you decided, yes, you must burn the ship. So cue to this massive... You decide to this very convoluted scheme that takes over an hour for you guys to figure out. In yeah, we're talking like you know, Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, you know, like looking at battle plans and because it's not just killing the goblins. You also want to screw over the merchant lord the and one, rescue the hostages. Yeah, and rescue the hostages. So, and sink the ship. And sink the ship. There's, so there's a lot of there's a lot of it's layers upon layers. Yeah. Um. So the battle itself takes like an hour and a half, and it's a big clusterfuck. You guys come out of the separate areas of the map because you. You dove in with hang gliders from the nearby island that the Gripply had, the frog people had. And um, it, there's a lot of goblins, obviously. And you had some NPC helpers with you, but, you know, you're still outnumbered like two to one at least in just the standard battle. And this is with most of the goblins gone because there was a ma- you, you started a massive riot slash battle on the shore. Uh, Using a giant a doppelganger and a giant gem, yeah, which is a whole story in and of itself. Yeah, exactly. Um, Actually, I think that was about twenty-five to thirty minutes. Think of, of the, the golden apple of Discord. You know, see who among you is the fairest, kind of things, and all the goblins jump and at it. And it just it started a massive riotous clusterfuck. Yeah. So there's you're still at number two to one, even on the the Hulk's basically empty, nearly empty, and so there's a big old fight. You barely live. Uh, one of the PCs gets drops. Well, you tell them. You go. Well, I will say, first of all, my guy's the tank of the group. Yeah. I'm the dragonborn fighter with, you know, plate armor, the great sword, you know, the, the typical shit. And the fuck, I think it's the goblin hexer. Yeah. Did something at me. What, I don't even want to remember what it, what, what it was called. It's called stinging hex. Thank you, Ross. Yeah. Which means if I take, if I move, I take 3d6 damage. And it, every time... Until you make a saving throw, which takes a ten. And I kept failing them. Yeah. Over and over. So I was like, all right, well, this, I mean, the first one, all right, this round, I'll just, I'll stay put. Actually, and there was someone next to me, so I could attack them. Like, all right, and I say, damn. All right, well, I guess I'm stuck here. Next round. And uh, like, well, I have to save after my round, so I guess I don't do anything this round. Fuck. (laughs) For four rounds, I was, I was stuck. And finally, I had to move, so I just, I'm taking the 3d6 damage. Yeah. And the thing is, you st- even after you moved, you still couldn't kill the one goblin who was killing the Gripply. Well, he went off on the he went off on the other side of the ship. Yeah, and so uh, he's, I'm like motherfucker. Yeah, so um, well, literally, I, I literally I said that. Yeah, uh, in fact, yeah. All, one thing about these games is that they are all going to have the explicit tag on iTunes because there's a lot of profanity in these games. Uh, just but right you off know the, what? the gate. I don't want to try to censor us. No, no, no I just I, it, you can't do it. No, so. Be warned uh, for those fans of our actual play, um, especially one of get... our players. You'll you'll know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Just you know the, the one who like you'll, he'll he'll roll a dice like it's like cock smoking fuck balls dick. 
Uh, and it's not Dom, so... No, it's not me. Uh, your favorite moment, though, of that particular battle, just watching it or seeing the other players are... Uh... I guess I gotta say it's really the I, I it's been a long time since I've had a battle where I just come out by the skin of my teeth, mm. where you know where I finally see the last villain you know bad guy go down, and we actually rescue. It was it was at that moment where like, oh my god, we're still here. <laughs> I have, it's been so long since I've had a fight like that. Yeah, um, that is you see that's one of the strengths of D and D fourth ed. I feel that the fighting is actually a lot better than it has been in the third ed. So of course uh, I'm still I mean I I still can by the way I still cannot give you my judgment on fourth ed yeah. as opposed to three point five I still don't know which one I prefer right as of right now I think it's still leaning towards three point five but I'm still I'm giving this one it's due but there's just a lot of stuff I don't know right well to be fair I think fourth ed does battles better but third ed I think is more of a fantasy toolkit you know you could mm-hmm. it's much more open ended like in the fourth ed game it's been I've had to hand wave a lot of the non-combat stuff, like the skill challenges. Mm-hmm. Like, if the player wants to disguise himself, you know, there's no disguise skill. None of the existing skills really cover that. So how does that work out? And then there's, you know, so it does battle a lot better, and it doesn't do the non-combat stuff as well. Right, really. The the, not, the, the non-combat stuff, you kind of, a lot of it you have to just make up for now. Yeah. So I, I'm used to improvising that, so... And I, it works well. With, it, works yeah. well. I think it's gone over great so far. So um, that's just a little taste of the new world. I'll post the first episode before the end of the year. I'll guarantee that right now. And um, until then, well, well, I would say you know have nice holidays, treat people well, treat yourselves well. Yes, and don't and, forget to make your saving your save versus warm fuzzies. And awesome. owing to the seriousness of a lot of that, last I will just end by saying pussy farts. <laughs> Thank right, this, you, George Carlin. Uh, that's been. This is Ross Payton. This is Tom Church. All right. See you next time. Halloween.